hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiev, and it's fabulous to be with you here on this fantastic afternoon. And did I hear anyone say love bells, Valentine's Day? Wasn't that already? Well, it may have been, but coming from the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, the somber period of the three weeks, thank God that's over. And now we have emerged once again, sadly, from the day of Tisha B'Av, but realizing the great potential that destruction is an opportunity for renewal, for rebuilding. And that's really the ultimate lesson that we discussed last week, the seeing the opportunities in disguise that really exist in our lives. And today I want to talk about the upcoming festival of Tuba'av. Coming from Tisha B'Av, we go to Tuba'av. And it's perhaps actually one of the most underestimated and even oftentimes overlooked of the festivals on the Jewish calendar. I want to give a shout out to my friend Alex Moraney. Don't know if you're listening. I know you got a special mazel tov this weekend for your grandson's bar mitzvah in Cape Town. But Tuba'av is one of those festivals that Alex is very passionate and excited about. He likes the two twos, Tuba'av and Tubishvat. And Alex was lamenting to me the other day about how we no longer have all those special events that used to take place on Tuba'av. A lot of people remember hearing about Tuba'av, the day when marriage-minded people, singles, would attend all these great social events, especially in the old days in Israel, it would be in the vineyards, I'm talking in Talmudic times and in temple times. But even more recently, there used to be all types of galas and shul special banquets to try to introduce people and solve the shidduch crisis. Maybe that was before the shidduch crisis existed, and now without this special tuba of gathering, maybe that's why there is a shidduch crisis existing today. But I think a lot of people aren't aware about why this day was chosen as the annual matchmaking day, the day for shidduchs, and what is so unique and special about this holiday. And what I'd like to do today is to share with you some of the deeper meaning about this festival. It's not just another Jewish Valentine's Day. Quite the contrary. It's much deeper and there's a lot more meaning and purpose to this holiday. And I'd like to share with you some of that that you might not even be familiar with. And that's obviously the purpose of Soul to Soul is an opportunity to get a understanding of some of the deeper aspects some which perhaps were not exposed to otherwise. I want to start with the Gemara Talmud, Tractate Tinus 26b. And if you look in the Gemara, it says there, There were no happier days for Israel than Tuba'av, which is this coming Sunday evening, and Yom Kippur. Why? Says the Gemara, because on those days... The Jewish maidens, the daughters of Jerusalem, would go out dressed in white garments, which, by the way, the Gemara says, they would borrow those garments in order not to shame anyone else who had none. So, basically, this isn't about going into Diamond Walk in Santon City or Hyde Park Shopping Center and buying a Gucci, Armani, Zenya, whatever fancy garment you could afford. This isn't about showing off your haberdashery, per se. Everyone wore the same, sort of like... When we expire and 
we all wear the same shrouds, the tachrichim. We're all equal in that sense. And in fact, the women would go out there dancing, and the men, of course, onlooking, would watch as the women would say as follows. Young man, raise your eyes and see whom you choose for yourself. This is your Shmogesbord Shidduch opportunity. But they would tell them, do not pay attention to beauty alone. Because, they would quote the verse from King Solomon in Proverbs, Mishle, that we read every night, in fact, part of every Friday night, it's part of our Eshet Chayel, Sheker Achein Vehevel HaYofi, Charm is false and beauty is futile. I'm not sure exactly, you know, they say beauty is skin deep. Okay, those weren't exactly King Solomon's words. But what does that to mean? You know, what do you want, a beautiful pancreas? But the important point King Solomon is making is as much as one is attracted to beauty, it is more important, Isha Yirat Hashem Hiti Talal, that it's the God-fearing woman that's to be praised, that will be loyal. And the verse continues, Tenulami Priyadeha, give her of the fruit of her hands, and her deeds will praise her in the gates. And then they would also say, quoting the words from Shira Shirim, again, King Solomon's so romantic language, they would say, Tse'ena ure'ena banot tzion, go out, O daughters of Zion, and gaze upon King Solomon. And it goes on further, the different things they would say. But the point is, the Mishnah tells us that this is one of the most special days on the Jewish calendar. And it was due to the greatness of this auspicious day that because it was so special, that's why it was a day for singles to come together and hopefully to marry one another. In fact, Yom Kippur, many of the senior citizens that I work with each day describe to me what it was like on Matzah Yom Kippur when they used to have these bashes as well. So I guess after a day of fasting, everyone's looking tip-top. You got to lose your two kilograms and it's a time to show off. <laughs> and they would go and have all these wonderful Yom Kippur get-togethers as well. Matzah Yom Kippur, I should say. So the point that I think we're trying to illustrate is that it was marked as a really great day, a very special day, a day of joy and celebration. And that's why it was a day chosen for matchmaking. Not the other way around. I'm saying that it wasn't, it's not that it was a day for matchmaking and that's why it was a special day. Because it was such a special day, that's the reason it was chosen for matchmaking. Now the question of course is what happened on this day that made it so special, in fact on par with Yom Kippur. So the Gemara relates numerous historical events that occurred on this day, in fact six particular events. I'm going to read to you very briefly from the Gemara Tainus 30b. It says there, there are no happier days as Tuba Av and Yom Kippur. And the Gemara asks, I can understand Yom Kippur. Why that's a festive day? Because there is on that day, Slicha, Mechila, pardon, forgiveness, we're atoned for all our grievances against God. But what about, I mean, this Tubav is not a day for atonement for our transgressions. On Yom Kippur, we know the second set of tablets God gave us that day. But what's the significance of Tubav? Says the Gemara, six particular things. The first one is said by Rav Yehuda, 
In the name of Shmuel, he says it's a day when the tribes were permitted to intermarry. Now, intermarriage, we're not talking about marrying out of our faith, God forbid, but originally it was decreed that the tribes should only marry amongst themselves so as to prevent any estates from being transferred to other tribes to inheritance. Imagine how complicated it would get. In fact, anyone who read the Torah portions last week and the week before is familiar with the story of the Benos Tzlavchad, the daughters of Tzlavchad, who complained because their father Tzlavchad had passed away and they described to Moshe the circumstances of his death. But he didn't leave any male ears. So what inheritance will his daughters get when they come to the land of Israel as the land is distributed by the tribes? So the solution was they had to marry within their own tribe. And that was a practical situation that people generally married within their own tribe. So on this day, it was decreed that Jews could marry into other tribes as well. And of course, there's a lot more detail to that, but that's not the focus of today's discussion. Another thing Rav Yosef mentions, it's the day on which the tribe of Binyamin was allowed to again re-enter the congregation, in a sense, to marry within the congregation, which followed a very sad, horrific incident of Pelegish Begibon, which was the concubine recorded in the book of Concubine Incident, the episode of a member of the tribe of Binyamin who had unfortunately... A very sad story. Perhaps another time we could go into the into the details. But the point is that when that incident happened, all Jews basically agreed that they will not marry anyone from the tribe of Benjamin. And finally, on this day, that agreement was dissolved. And once again, the tribe of Benjamin was once again permitted to re-enter the congregation of Israel and to marry into the other tribes. So it was a great day of celebration. Rabbi Barachana said in the name of Rav Yochanan that this is the day when the people of the, de- of the desert ceased to die, which again is a very important incident because after the Chet Maraglam, the sin of the spies, we know that the Jews cried on Tisha B'av that year 2448, 2449 for no reason. God says you cry for no reason. I'll give you a reason, something to cry for. And, of course, that became the most tragic, horrific day in Jewish history, one which we discussed in greater detail last week. And surely those who were tuned in to Chai FM on Tuesday heard many of the broadcasts of different presenters of what happened, what were the events that we commemorate that happened on Tisha B'Av. But the original event was that the Jews refused to enter the land of Israel, despite it being a land flowing with milk and honey, with tremendous blessings that God was taking us to. And so each year on Tisha B'Av, many Jews who were over the age 20 would basically dig their own graves and bury themselves inside it. And by the 15th of Av, they would come out. But that year, 40, the 40th year, 39 years later, when the people went into their graves, a few days continued, and they see that the moon is already, it's already the middle of the month. It's already at its full strength on 15th of Av. And yet their souls haven't expired. Their lives haven't been terminated. And there was clear to them that this decree of their deaths on Tisha B'Av would no longer occur. Uh, the decree was over. And so this day was declared a festival because they stopped dying on that day. Some other incidents the Gemara mentions. Ula says... It was a day on which Hoshea, the son of Ella, removed the guards that Yerobam Benavat stationed on the roads to prevent Jews from going to the temple, to the Beis Hamikdash during the festivals. 
And finally, Hosea allowed Jews once again to go. He removed these barriers. And of course, that was another reason and purpose for great celebration. Remember, Yeravim Banavat was one of the terrible kings in Jewish history. And because of the peoples being stooped into idolatry in those times, he prevented any pious Jews, anyone from going to Jerusalem. And this King Hosea on Tuba'av, years later, removed those barriers and finally people were able to go once again. So again, that was another cause for celebration. Rav Masna says, it's a day on which the dead of Betar were allowed to be buried. Now, remember the story of the Bar Kachba revolt, which also took place on Tisha B'av, some 70 years after the temple's destruction. I think it was in the year 138 of the Common Era. And the Romans forbade any of the corpses of those who were murdered in Betar to be buried. A year later, not five days later, a year later, when the Jews returned to Betar and they were finally allowed by the Romans to bury their dead, one of the great miracles they encountered was that none of the bodies of any of those corpses, Jewish corpses, had in any way deteriorated, decom- decompressed, um, you know what I mean? And there was no stench. It was a very special celebration, firstly, that they were able to be buried, and secondly, witnessing that none of the bodies decomposed and they were still whole. So that was a tremendous celebration. Rav, Rabbi Barav Yosef says it's on this day when they stopped chopping wood for the wood pile on the Mizbech and the altar in the temple. And he goes on to quote Rabbi Lezer Hagadol, the great, it said from Tubav onwards, the strength of the sun diminishes and they would cease to chop wood for the pile of the altar in order to offer the sacrifices. And that's why this day Tuba'av became known as the day of the breaking of the axe. So here we have the different events that occurred on Tuba'av. By the way, matchmaking is not mentioned here yet in the Gemara at this stage. We mentioned it earlier. It says the daughters of Jerusalem would go out. And that is previously in the Gemara because I just read to you from Tinus 30, whereas the recording of the girls, the maidens going out and dancing in the vineyards, that's mentioned earlier in 26b. But with these six separate occurrences, events that happen on this day, the Gemara is telling us because of these events is the reason why this day was chosen for matchmaking. Now, each one obviously is a reason to celebrate. And certainly all of them together make the day deserving of commemoration. And in fact, we don't say Tachna on Sunday at Mincha, we don't say Tachna, and all the way through till Monday evening, Tachna is omitted in our prayers. But the question is, what is so special about, what is the joy? Why is this such a unique, special joy? And I'm going to focus on one particular event, although I'm sure each of them is special and unique and important. But I want to focus on the fact that this day was as special as Yom Kippur even. So, what is, which one of the events I'm going to focus on the last one, on the wood chopping? And obviously, people are wondering, and I see messages coming through, how could you compare this day with Tuba, with Yom Kippur? 
Someone asked before, what's the difference between Tisha B'Av Yom Kippur? They're both fast days. We abstain from so many things, from the same things for those two days. But the difference is WhatsApp. It's right on Tisha B'Av. We had WhatsApp access. But the what exactly was the special event of the woodchopping? Why is that something deserving of such celebration that it's comparable even to Yom Kippur? Now remember when the Holy Temple stood in Jerusalem, obviously in order to offer sacrifices on the altar, they had to chop wood because that's what would bring, that's, that's how you obviously sustain the fire. Now, they would cut the wood from the month of Nisan, which if you've spent time in Israel, you know that Israel's got winter, but the month of Nisan is when spring begins. And so, because that's when the sunny season begins and the rain stops, they would cut wood all the way until Tuba'av. Past Tuba'av, that means from this coming Monday, that's when they would stop because the summer heat begins to wane and the wood, the Gemara says, was too moist. It was too, the worms would have access to it. And so they wouldn't want such wood for the carbonus, the sacrifices being offered on the altar. Now, you know, obviously, Shabbos's this time of year in Israel are much longer in a sense than here. But now is the summer solstice and the summer nights begin to shrink. They get shorter, which I think in itself is a significant matter relevant to what we're talking about. But the because the summer is starting to wane now, and like uh, Howard Feldman said on his show the other day, spring for us is starting to begin here in South Africa. So that's why they stopped chopping the wood. And it was a tremendous celebration. Now, the obvious question is, what's the big deal about this chopping of the wood? You know, think about it. What was the purpose of the wood? Why did, what was the wood used for? So obviously the wood was used for the altar, for offering the sacrifices like we described. But cutting the wood is not even a mitzvah. It just as a facilitator, it helped with performing the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself, offering the sacrifices, did not have any major celebration like Tubav did. So how do we compare it that it's identical to the status of Yom Kippur? Think about it. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. And the relationship between the Jew and God reaches its deepest moments. So what is this happiness about Tuba'av? I mean, can I understand Yom Kippur is such a joy and celebration that we're atoned, we're forgiven for our sins. But Tuba'av, what is so special about Tuba'av? And I think it's an important question. And obviously we've been asking this and it's time to discuss what it is that makes it so special. So after these important messages, please be right back. Join us for the important message and lesson of today's program. This is Soul to Soul on 101.9 High FM. 
And welcome back. And you've been wondering what it is that makes Tuba of the Jewish Valentine's Day. What turned it into that day of matchmaking and merrymaking and joint celebration? We talked about the celebration of the wood chopping. Now, why was the wood chopping and the day that it was concluded turned into such a great celebration? I want to go back a little bit into more recent but ancient Jewish history. We were talking about the period of the rebuilding, the time when they built the second temple. Now, the Jews returned to the land of Israel. We're talking about after 70 years of exile in Babylonia since the destruction of the first temple. And finally, they came to resettle the land and to rebuild the Beis HaMikdash. But they faced many obstacles, challenges, and difficult hardships. So you think about the community was very small, was poor. In fact, most of the Jews chose to remain in Babylonia. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago during our Israel discussions, and the Talmud says about 42,000 Jews returned to Israel. Most stayed behind in Egypt and Babylon. And the Jews in Israel were obviously, as today, threatened by many enemies. And you think about the people who saw the first temple, which was gold gilded, was the, the magnificence and glory of it. The second temple paled in comparison. And the people even cried comparing the two temples to each other. So the temple treasury, they couldn't afford even to pay for the firewood, for the mezbah, for the altar sacrifices. So there were a few families that came together and they decided they're going to resolve this crisis. You know, you know, each of our shuls were very lucky to have certain families and individuals who band together and they say, we're going to sustain the show. We're going to keep this place going. We're going to prevent any further crisis from happening. And each of those families, they donated a large quantity of firewood. And when the supply brought by the families was exhausted, another family came. They brought in their donation. And in this way, had eight families that supplied wood for the critical first year of the temple's existence. And of course, with time, there were more Jews coming. And slowly but surely, the temple regained its strength and its affluence and all the other necessities. But as a reward to the generosity of these families, the prophets of the time, you could call it the administrators of the temple in a sense, they instituted that a date for each family's donation would be fixed in the base Hamikdash's calendar. Sort of like we still even have today, many shuls have the Parnas Hayom, the supporter of the day, but they said as an appreciation to these eight families for getting the temple back on track, they were going to dedicate one day a year to each of these families. And when that family's day would come along, that family was granted a special privilege to again supply wood for the altar. Even if the temple coffers were full and, it, and you know, the temple was stockpiled with wood, didn't matter. This family, it was their day. You honored them on that day because of their contribution to helping make the temple, to bring it back to its dignity, to its glory. Now, I think it's something really special. You know, these family celebration was very powerful. And in fact, the Gemara says it even rode, overrode fasting on a Tishabav Nitcha. That means if Tishabav was postponed, it even, they were, so to say, absolved from fasting on that day. Obviously, there's many, many details to that. But the point is that, yes, providing wood is very special. But why does that make it a celebration that exceeds, that, that is on par with Yom Kippur? You know, obviously, the wood enabled the 
altar to be reconstituted, to be, to offer the sacrifices on it, to function. But does that make it such a special day? I mean, like I said before, the actual sacrifices that were offered didn't, wasn't accompanied with such celebration. And I think the answer to this is what really illustrates what the point of a relationship is all about, what it means in a sense to be a Jew. And I think answers our question why this day is the day it is because we can learn so much about a relationship between a Jew and God and the relationship that we should have with our spouses on this special day of merrymaking. You see, when the fellow's cutting that wood in the forest, he's out there in the forest cutting wood for the altar. What's going to be done with the wood? That wood is going to be used. Who's going to know? It's not the actual sacrifice. But he is facilitating the purpose that other people could go to the temple and offer their sacrifices and have them burn on the mezbeach on the altar and be elevated to God. Who's benefiting? Everyone else? Not himself. He is just chopping wood. And you think about that guy standing there, schwitzing, sweating away, chopping down tree after tree, cutting wood. He's not part of the real action in the temple. He's not working in the holy temple itself. He's not bringing the offering, the, the carbon on the mezbech as the kohen and the individual who's offering a sacrifice is doing. And the wood is not even being used for his own home, for his own fireplace, for his own bry. Think about it. He's in the forest behind the scenes. But he is initiating the process which allows others to use the wood in the temple, to place it on the altar, to ignite a fire from it to bring the offering which is going to ascend to God. And that in itself, the joy of being able to facilitate and to help another in doing what, and having a, a deep relationship with God, that in itself is worthwhile of a celebration. How do you know when you're deeply committed to a person or to any cause in a real way? And this is the answer. When you do things for this person or cause or purpose, organization, function, whatever it might be, and you don't have to be in the limelight. You think about our society that exists in exactly that way. How many people are making things happen? We don't see them in the limelight. Whether it's the people who are installing those pipes underneath your, underneath underground outside our homes, whether it's the builders, whether it's the sanitation workers from Pikitap, all these people are facilitating our ability to go about the daily routines of our lives. And how often do we even recognize and realize that our life, what our life would be like without their services, without what they're doing for us? You think about the fiber that's being installed on the ground, the water pipes, and, and, the, and the, all those things that are happening. We have a world that exists around us, but all that is being facilitated by all these people who... Many of them are working throughout the night in order for us to be able to have these luxuries of our life. And I think it's an important message to, for us to realize that here you have people who are behind the scenes, so to say in the forest, chopping the trees like it was in the temple times. They're cutting the wood. They are installing the wires and building and, and facilitating. And they're content with the knowledge that they're allowing others to go about and do whatever they have to. The only way 
we would be able to offer our sacrifice in the temple was if there was the wood chopped. And that chopped wood only came there because someone was willing to accept that position. And this is the celebration of this day. Because it's not about me or the attention that I get from my actions. Listen to me. I'm here. Look at me. It's about my readiness to get involved in things that are going to benefit others, that perhaps will facilitate and help their relationship with God. It's about my true commitment and dedication behind closed doors where nobody sees, where I'm not getting all the credit. And Tuba'av demonstrates that ultimate devotion to God and to our fellow Jews to help others out, to act selflessly without the need for constant gratification and appreciation, and to do so with joy, with happiness, with celebration. And there's no other day on the calendar, no other event that is like this. Tuba'av represents the notion of a Jew who doesn't ask what you could do for me, but asks what I could do for you, to paraphrase the words of John F. Kennedy. And so, this is a message and a lesson that all those matchmaking on Tuba'av could learn. And not just those who are going out there seeking a shidduch, because it's important before you get married to understand some of the powerful lessons of marriage. But I think each of us, those who are already in relationships, could learn about enhancing our relationships from this day. Because the truth of any relationship could be learned about our relationship with God. And this is something that is a powerful lesson. Tuba'av is chosen as the day for couples to get together because on this day, this is a lesson that we could learn from the events of that day. A bond that expresses itself like the cutting of the wood that was performed, that was concluded on Tuba'av, that was celebrated in this day. We have to be like those woodcutters in our relationships. And that's, I think, the lesson for everyone to learn from this special day to implement in our own relationships as well. You know, there are so many couples out there, husbands and wives, who cannot really deal with the success of their partners. Sometimes they feel threatened by the notion that perhaps their husband or wife is going to outshine them, maybe in their career, maybe in some other arena. But if you are content, not just content, if you are happy for your spouse, you realize that their success, in a sense, contributes to your success. But it's not just about that. You gotta realize, I'm happy to be the wind beneath your wings, so to say. Allow, encourage the other to fly. And I'm one who's very privileged to have an Eshet Chayel like that. And a shout out, certainly, to my wife, Batya, for all her encouragement and support for all the things I do, which I wouldn't be able to do without her support and encouragement and realizing that this is, I guess, the kind of life we lead in the rabbinate. And this is exactly the message and lesson of Tuba'av. Is that if we can be like the wood and the wood chopper, who, yeah, he might not be part of the actual sacrifice. He's not part of the action in the temple. He's just allowing others to offer that sacrifice. 
But that is the role, the value, because of his facilitating, because he cuts down that wood, only because of that is there a flame that can be lit on the altar. And this is the powerful message of Tuba'av that we could all learn. And this is a question we could each ask ourselves. Do we ever do things for our spouse or for a friend or for some other person who's important to us without them knowing that it came from us? Is it all about the credit? Are we happy to do it? Notwithstanding the fact that it could be counted as a brownie point if we show off, if we reveal that it was us who did it. Can we truly celebrate the opportunity to be there for somebody without them ever knowing, without them having to reciprocate, tit for tat, I do for you, but you don't do for me? Are we comfortable to love without the need to demonstrate how much you love? Can you sometimes just remain in the forest like the woodchopper, far away from the limelight, just cutting wood, just helping another person, just being there so others could get things done? Yesterday we had a fabulous function, our Young Drivers event, which takes place every couple of weeks. An amazing event for any young people out there, great speakers. Colin Dotnow spoke yesterday and another fantastic speaker. And this event doesn't just happen. There were volunteers, there were people who helped out with it and it's because of people like that because of the volunteers who help out without the limelight and yes it's our responsibility of course to thank to express appreciation and gratitude but to realize your shul does not happen if it's not for all those individuals who get together and help and your school's pta there are parents who give up their lives selflessly they take time away from their children away from the family in order to enhance what your school's offering by being on the PTA or whatever other committee. And we all know the thankless job it is to be a trustee in your body corporate or to be on various school, school organizational committees, volunteering in the CSO. Do you know how many people from the CSO volunteer their time to protect us at all our functions and events? How about Hatzala volunteers who in the middle of the night Get out of bed swiftly, quickly to respond to any emergency. These are the things that make our community roll. And it's exactly like the guy who's chopping the wood in order for you to be able to bring your carbon, your sacrifice. And this is the message and lesson of Tuba'av that we will be celebrating on Sunday evening, on Monday, this sort of Jewish Valentine's Day, because it's a lesson to us that we don't always need the credit. We always we don't always need someone to thank us and to sh- we got to do things because this is how life gets done by people participating, doing their part, playing their role. That is exactly the point. And the Talmud focuses on this because it's telling us that in life we have to realize that there are things we could do to help society stay afloat. And if each of us could learn to play that role in our lives to whatever extent possible, then we'll realize that that is what society needs. The deepest type of relationship is when it's not based on what's in it for me, but what can I do for you? So to conclude with one of my favorite thoughts that I heard from Rabbi Yossi Chazan, the difference between a person, Am Haaretz, one of the soil, and one of the soul. One of the soul, what's the difference between soul and soil? Obviously, the soil person is S-O-I-L. 
self-centered, narcissistic focus just on the self. Whereas the soul person is one who's there for another. S-O-U-L. I think this is a very powerful lesson each of us could apply in our lives. That we can be there in the background, do whatever has to get done. In order for a healthy relationship to exist, it's not just about recognition and reward, but I'm doing it because it's the right thing and because this needs to get done and somebody's got to do it. So if each of us could apply that in our lives, I think we've learned the powerful, beautiful and romantic lessons of Tuba Av. My dear friends, I want to wish you a fabulous Tuba Av. And on this weekend on Shabbos Nachamu, a Shabbos of comfort, take comfort by relaxing and spending time with your family and thinking about how you could deepen your relationship with one another, whether it's for our children or for our spouse. You think about what we do for our children. Do we constantly ask our children for credit, for appreciation, for all the time we invest in them? No, because we know they deserve it. We know if we brought them in the world, it's our responsibility to appreciate, to do what we have to do for them. And at the same time, this is the same thing what we have to do for our spouse and other important relationships of our lives. So my dear friends, seize that opportunity. Carpe diem, tap into it, feel it, live it, and spend time with your loved ones on this tuba of. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next with Rabbi Ari Shishler.